Hello and welcome to Not A Buffalo, the show where we discuss the science and technology that will save the world. My name's Ben and I'm here to spread some amazing new technology cheer. This is Jack and he wants to wish you all an astounding science holiday season. Jack, how are you? Many happiest astoundations of the season, Ben. Many happy secular denominations of holidays to you. Oh, thank you. It's like the most secular. <laughs> the most secular. How is everything with you, Jack? Things are things are good here. So, Jack, you got some good stories for us for the last episode of this year. I was going to say the season. It's not the last episode of the season. We're still fresh into the season, but last episode of the year. Yeah, I've got some decent stories. I think today, none of them Christmas themed. I'll tell you that much. <laughs> yeah. Well, I've made up for it. Oh God, you've gone Christmas on me. Yep, I, I've got a paper all about realising how Santa Claus delivers his presents, exactly the type of time dilation machine that he uses. So, I'm joking, I haven't really done that at all. Yeah, you'd take more than time dilation to do that. I have one story that I reckon I could make kind of Christmassy, but I've actually got a lot of short stories this time, I think, so it'll, it'll, it'll be interesting to see how many we actually end up with. But uh, what's your first story? My first story is, I suppose, kind of, it starts with a question my first story as all good stories do yeah and the question is ben how how would you go about hiding a gigantic volcano i'd probably paint a face on it so that's not a million miles off what actually happened it's just the logical thing to do yes earth disguised this enormous volcano as uh, a bunch of smaller little volcanoes i say little volcanoes they're still very large volcanoes you may know them as the aleutian islands I've not heard of those, no. Oh, okay. They're off the uh, coast of Alaska. They're, like the northern side of like the Ring of Fire in the Pacific. Yes, yeah. It's not conclusive yet, but a new study has been released, um, actually presented today by the American Geophysical Union, which tested samples from various Aleutian Island volcanoes. They're a volcanic island chain, so each island is around a, a, an active or extinct volcano, in most cases active. And they're saying... Basically, all the evidence points to these islands being vents from a caldera. You know what a you know what a caldera volcano is, right? They're the flat ones. So the big pointy ones, those are stratovolcanoes, and the flat caldera ones, which comes from the word for cauldron, they are just big, like very very large magma deposits that then blow up and they leave a crater and then that fills with ash because when a caldera this size blows up. It deposits a lot of ash. Like, this is comparable to the Yellowstone caldera, which is a super volcano. So when this explodes, this is an extinction level? Well, not necessarily extinction level, but like life as we know it is going to take a hiatus for a, a while. You're, you're looking at a situation where last time Yellowstone blew, it chucked 15,000 square kilometers of ash into the atmosphere, which is a lot, you know. It's Pokemon levels of ash. It's... <laughs> that's that's where we are with this but yeah it's not as i say it's not conclusive yet and this was something that was only released today but you know the world might have an extra super volcano so good that we know and are they doing anything to assess now how active this is going to be or, or when it might blow again or is it just a kind of oh th here's another impending disaster that 2020 has brought us well <sighs> Yeah, I mean, it's it's very difficult. It's difficult to calculate that kind of stuff. First, it needs to be confirmed that it it's actually a caldera, and it's all one caldera. So you know the the super hot vents you get in Yellowstone Park. Yes. Basically, those equate to 
the stratovolcanoes along that northern side of the Ring of Fire in this analogy. All of the superheated material that's that's coming up comes up through water, which is obviously cold, and that builds up into, into stratovolcanoes. The idea they have is that it's all coming from one source. Uh, so they think that that's what's happening, but they're not 100% sure yet. And if it is, um, it just means that there's another active super volcano hanging around which again it's it's better to know it's another thing to study and it's another thing to be aware of on the exciting day that is christmas 2020 which i'm sure will be like every other christmas because the rest of 2020 has been really normal (laughs) be another another day with the family yeah another day on the farm grandpa's in his rocking chair on the roof because he's not allowed inside because social distancing. Yeah. I don't know why my analogy I put the old people outside. Really, the young people should have gone outside. I don't know why you put them on the roof. Social distancing. But it, yeah, but like, I mean, there's ground, isn't there? <laughs> well, I was also thinking you'd have aunt outside the west wall and... You know, the west wall. Uncle walls. outside the, the south wall and cousin buried under the floorboards and... <laughs> we have seven seconds of usable footage so far. That's what we do. That's what we do. Seven seconds. <laughs> We're doing better than that. We're doing better than that. Yeah. Well, I actually, I, I have a story that's also concerns the northern, or, or uh, starts off in the northern hemisphere, very nearby. You're back on the Segway. I'm back on the Segway. Yeah, yeah, I had a bit of a blip last episode, but I'm back on. I've re- returned to basic training and uh, come back reinvigorated and refreshed. As we know, everything in the northern hemisphere is near to everything else in the northern hemisphere. Go. This story takes place in Calgary, in Canada. So that's actually probably quite a few hundred, if not thousand miles east of where yes. you were talking about but but you know relative on earth scale it's still close by i'd say i think we may be pushing it let's go with it okay so the aleutian islands are close to calgary i mean okay in galactic scales then pretty close <laughs> <laughs> on galactic scales i feel like you need to give me more space then <laughs> the university of calgary joined forces with xylem technologies which is a US-based water technology, and with Village Brewery, which is a Calgary-based craft beer maker, Mm. to make a crisp blonde ale. But the distinctive thing about this is they used reused wastewater. I mean, that does sound delicious. Actually tasted really good. It's one of the, it's like the headline of the article is, we brewed beer from recycled wastewater and it tasted great. That's cool. A little bit of the context, um, you know, as the Earth's population is a, projected to reach 9.7 billion by 2050 and we already have a third of the earth's population that doesn't have access to safe drinking water, let alone beer let alone beer but reusing wastewater mm. for drinking and more importantly for brewing is going to be crucial and uh, they, they had a look at, um, at doing this i mean it went through an incredible process so they took wastewater from a treatment plant so this is this is water that's come you know from from sewage gone into a treatment plant and then it gets ran through a series of purifying steps and again i love the words in this is how i choose all my stories as we know (laughs) but it went through ultra filtration then ozonization which is where they react it with highly reactive forms of oxygen Mm. to again help purify it then it undergoes uv radiation and then finally reverse osmosis to make it super pure Mm. water again you know they talk about some of the pathogens and bacteria that they were trying to remove from the water i'm not going to go into that that's not the important 
The important bit is the beer. The important thing is they they removed them and it was safe enough to drink and not only safe, was also delicious. And they they had a really great tasting beer and they gave it out at the launch for people to drink. And it was based on technology that's already used in Singapore, Germany and California Mm. and could be, you know, used more widely as well. So it was kind of a proof in concept of the ability to reuse wastewater. And it's something that I think they were saying, they say in the article, you know, there's not a big market for it at the Mm. moment. A lot of people... A lot of people probably don't know where their water comes from, but if anyone, yeah. you know, all it takes is one journalist to say, oh, by the way, your water doesn't come from the fresh spring that you thought it would, but it actually comes from a wastewater plant mm. to cause an absolute uproar. And so they're partly saying we need to get people more comfortable with the idea of we can. You have to own it to do something like this. You've got to like really go, yeah, no, this is what we're doing and this, and we're proud of it. Yeah. And it's just proving that like, yeah, we can reuse wastewater. We can purify it enough that it's not only safe, but also tastes great, especially when you turn it into beer. That's really cool. I'd heard rainwater, beers being made from rainwater before, but this is the first I'd heard of it was possible to do it with wastewater. You said it's like existing technology that's used in Singapore. Is there any more about that? Like how long has this been going on and it's just not been popular in the West, I guess? Well, yeah, I think it's been going on for quite a while. Singapore, obviously a tiny island nation with limited resources and surrounded by water. They've they've had to use these kind of things and and particularly, you know, better ways to get seawater and turn that into potable water as well. Um, They they do highlight just the main issue is is public perception and and people wanting to get fresh, clean water from springs and rivers and and, and where have you and just not liking the idea of reusing wastewater as though that's part of what they're trying to say is, you, you know, you can reuse it, we can treat it, all this technology exists that we can treat well enough. And I think as well, it's um, you know, it, it needs to scale up and get a little bit more effective as well, which also requires the investment from governments who kind of realise the issue of not having enough water and, and clean water and this actually being a very viable alternative. That's a really cool story. I always like, I always like it when there's recycling and green stuff in our stories because green stuff is cool. They do highlight they've basically been doing this on the International Space Station for over two decades because, you know, that's how astronauts get their water is they recycle the water yeah. that they already had up there. They, they did point out that this started on Earth Overshoot Day, which was the 22nd of August in 2020, which is the day that Earth has used up all of its ecological resources or humanity has used up all of our ecological resources for the year. So this year is uh, the 22nd of August, which I, I believe is earlier than it's ever been and it's getting earlier mm. as we consume more and more so yeah my, my first story all about making beer from unusual places yeah that was a really cool story it's really nice to see how fast you can segue now but i doubt it would be the fastest because china has just released a claim to the world's fastest um quantum computer Ooh, yeah it's a specialist computer, so it's a specialist quantum computer. I, I suppose it's worth touching on a, for a moment on what a quantum computer is, and it's a, it's a computer that uses the potential superposition of particles in quantum mechanics to process data rather than conventional on-off positions of tiny switches, which is what every classical computer and probably the computer that you're listening to this on uses. Unless you're in China and you're a supercomputer researcher, in which case, hello, but yeah. And also well done, because China is really one of like the world leaders at the moment in quantum computing, particularly quantum networking, which involves sending packets over long distances using effects in quantum mechanics. But this particular quantum computer was a Gaussian boson sampling machine, um, which is three sciencey words which mean it looks at some lights 
and calculates something based on those lights. So it's the better it is at recognizing photons, the better it is at being a computer. And this one is really good at being a computer because it was able to run each of the experimental tests in about 200 seconds. This is compared in this article to the fastest Chinese supercomputer, which would have taken 2.5 billion years to arrive at the same result. That That is even faster than I thought it was going to be. The, the first one, I mean. <laughs> it's a big uptick, isn't it? <laughs> like, yeah. So if you're wondering, that means it's roughly 100 trillion times faster. 100 trillion. I can't even picture that many zeros in my head. Yeah. Like, I run out of space. Yeah, yeah, we, we all do. Yeah, it's a big number, and it's a big... It, I mean, like, it's it's an improvement to the point of, like, you can do stuff with that that you couldn't with classical computing. So, I mean, quantum computers have been here for a while. Last year, Google announced, well, the first ones to announce quantum supremacy, which is the point at which a, a quantum computer, anything supremacy, actually, quantum computer outperforms a classical computer. So, like, AI supremacy is, um, is another benchmark where, like, AI supremacy in chess is where an AI is better at chess than a human. So it's, it's that kind of thing. That's what supremacy means in this context. One thing I discovered, I heard about that recently, is that AI are very good at chess because they only look at the move and the best possible move at that time. And they look at each each time it's their turn, mm. they look at it completely afresh. They don't have an overall strategy. No. And although they can make the best move each time, they don't have an overarching kind of ambition like all the human players do, which is often why they make unexpected moves as well, which I, I didn't realise mm. at all. I thought they'd have... I thought they would remember all the previous moves and then know the next best move to go rather than kind of looking at it afresh each time. Well, I mean, they, w- they will. You could program them to remember it, but it's far more efficient to just go, this is the problem and play through as many possible scenarios as you can and pick the one where you end up in a stronger position. Yeah. The difficulty comes when you have something like an increasing number of scenarios as you go down the moves. So chess is a perfect example. It was a perfect example of this in the 80s and why it was such a big deal that chess was, was conquered by AI because there are a lot of different configurations of a chessboard. And that's part of the reason why Go, the Chinese game, is a benchmark for AIs today because there are, I think, hundreds of thousands more combinations possible on a go board than there are on a chess board so like the more complexity yeah. you have the more difficult it is to calculate the right move it's it's that kind of thing that is that, that's incredible though and because they, they're, they're still very much the experimental stage aren't mm. they quantum computers they're not able to yeah. easily create them and use them in you know every day even as replacements for say military supercomputers or anything like that there, there are places where they're used like the special types of research where they can be used like this but the, at the moment they are specialist machines it's not yet at the stage where like a general purpose quantum computer is useful in most scenarios or is any better than a, a classical one but this is where it will start is in these specialist areas and then we learn how to use the technology. I had a story on here a few months back where um, a group of scientists had figured out how to run a quantum computer at a higher temperature than normal. And that's a huge, that's still a huge barrier because in order for the effects of quantum mechanics that these computers run on and rely on <laughs> to make calculations, the particles need to be very, very cold because otherwise the, the effects of quantum mechanics just fall apart and they stop working and you're left with just a bunch of particles. That's true. And also doping's a big issue. I actually have the perfect segue story, which is also about... About doping. <laughs> ...devices. About doping quantum devices, yeah. What's meant in this situation is when you dope a quantum device, is essentially it's when you, in order to make a semiconductor conduct electricity better, mm. 
you chemically dope it with another element. So, for example, you dope it with a small amount of phosphorus atoms added to silicon, ah. which produce an excess of free electrons yeah. and allow an electrical current to flow. However, they've realized that this completely throws off when you're trying to make quantum devices because they work at such a precise mm. and tiny scale the few additional atoms of the phosphorus meant that you couldn't make an identical quantum device each time because even if you sprayed it in exactly the same way with the exact same amount the atoms from the the chemical would disperse randomly or slightly differently throughout the the device university of new south wales and australia have led a study where they've been able to they basically figured this out as, as the problem and so they worked with collaborators in cambridge and they were able to dra dramatically improve the reproducibility of quantum devices by removing this need for doping so fortune doesn't go into a huge amount of detail as to what they're doing instead of the doping they were doing for the purpose of making the, the semiconductors more more conductive but they basically said that they can now remove the need for this doping it's easier to perfectly reproduce the device over and over again so then you can you know like a small quantum chip which you then obviously put together into building a quantum computer and you remove a lot of the the fuzzy wuzzy randomness that throws off quantum mechanics so much yeah so they, they said they actually managed to make nine devices and all showed identical quantum properties and electrical performance which is potentially a massive breakthrough that could really help quantum computing along with the chinese uh, breakthrough that jack was just talking about as well so that's a, that's a lot of quantum for you. Are you sticking with quantum or are you moving completely elsewhere in science as we love to do in the show? It's just quantum one minute, you know, fish the next. We're leaving the quantum world and we're coming back up to the regular sized world. But of course, not, not because we've been down in the quantum world, we're going to stay like a little bit scaled down. So mine is about a tiny return vehicle that's come back from space. Obviously, most okay. returning spacecraft are like still decently sized. This one is about the size of a wok. And it is the Hayabusa 2 capsule, which landed yesterday in Australia. This is the from the Japanese Space Agency, right? Yeah, yeah, it is. It's there back in 2010. Their first Hayabusa capsule was the first to land on an asteroid, grab some material, and then return to Earth. And this Hayabusa capsule has done the same. It's landed on a carbon-rich asteroid, which is really cool because those might be where the elements for life first landed from on earth oh wow yeah right so it's like this is for those of you not familiar this is the theory of panspermia which is the idea that life on earth is in a sense very alien because it the earth sort of formed and got to be hospitable enough for microbes and then an asteroid carrying microbes crashed into the planet and, and the microbes were like yay arrival and several million later, years later, we turned up and podcasted at you as a direct result of those microbes. And scientists are going to uh, analyse these samples and we might get some exciting insights into how life arrived on Earth. And also, the other great thing about this is these asteroids have remained unchanged by all the geological processes on Earth. So this is an insight into the materials that early life was working with even if it doesn't you know hold the key to like early life it's still a case of this is what early life was working with so it gives us a real insight into what climate and atmosphere early life evolved in so it's like this is this is such an important area of research because it's it's about the origins of life on earth not just human life but like all life so it's it's so cool it's so cool that is amazing and uh, it only just yeah. landed back, didn't it? So we don't have any fire. Yeah, it's la last 24 hours at time of recording, I think. So this is very, 
hot off the press kind of scenario as you said that is just mind-blowing like it's a, it's a look back into the the creations of life itself traveled 5.3 billion kilometers there and back to get this sample for a second i thought you were talking about the asteroids that's not really traveled that far and then i realized you meant the probe instead and it's funny that you compared it to the size of a walk i presume the article compared it to the yes, size they did. of a walk i actually do have a very quick story on, on that and it's one thing i didn't think about but it's the cultural differences on gesture design oh yeah yeah so you know how you have a lot of hands-free things now like in a car for example you have a hands-free kit you might be able to answer a phone or refuse to answer the phone and apparently in for example in america you'd sort of use a chopping motion across your neck to, Mm -hmm. to not answer the phone whereas in china they'd wave their hand back and forth instead to not answer the phone call and it's just something that they're considering mm. more and more in design one thing that i thought was really cool in this is that i didn't realize that chinese people count on their hands differently to we do so we hold up a finger for one and a finger for two mm. a finger for three four five um on one hand and china does the same but then they continue to count up to 10 on the one hand so they have a symbol which is kind of like you know mm-hmm. the phone symbol you make with your hand with your little finger and your thumb it's like that but horizontal and held up oh. and that means six and and then they have they have different gestures that mean they go from six to ten as well, which they can all do with one hand. And so it's mm. just another consideration that people have to think about when they're designing gesture technology, which is you know becoming more and more common as we get things like smart mm. wardrobes and hands-free devices and things like that. Yeah, it's funny because stuff like this is often like a casualty of software design. Because say you've got I don't know a, a tiny cultural enclave in eastern Kazakhstan which has a specific way of, of counting on their hands like that. You know, say it wasn't all of China, it was just a specific bit of Kazakhstan. You probably wouldn't get that programmed in. And over time, as that technology becomes prevalent, then that habit culturally will be lost because everyone will get used to doing one, two, three, or five, six in the way that, you know, the, the computer understands because it becomes a necessity to interact with that technology. It's a really good example of how important the software designer and developer and their own biases and thoughts are and in software and why it does have such an important impact. And there's a very real problem and also consideration of the kind of people that Google and Apple and Oracle and, uh, and IBM and whoever hire uh, and that the greater the diversity in their staff, the you know, more accessible and probably more interesting and varied technology will be for everyone around the world as well i mean there is also the fact that like you like there's still very poor support for lots of minor languages in lots of mainstream programs it's just that it's it's an enormous amount of work to program in what ten thousand languages or whatever the the current estimate of global languages is yeah it's incredible it's people who live in a tiny remote part who need access to the technology that mm. the rest of the world is used to perhaps but you don't program it in for them because a billion people speak english so it makes sense but if only ten thousand people speak a language mm. are you going to bother but it does cut them out of the modern world essentially yeah it's funny it's a bigger problem than just diversity in an odd way it's almost unthinkable that all programs will be programmed in every language at the moment with the, the current like way mm. technology is built and maintained and then you've also got the issue of maintenance on top of that how how do you update your language files you know if a word falls out of use what do you do do you update that do you or do you leave it in because people are used to seeing that word in that location you know imagine the word start fell out of use in english what do windows call their menu do they call it a start menu do they change it from being a start menu or a start bar or whatever it is now you're almost into realms of like linguistic philosophy with tackling this because it's it's a weirdly thorny problem 
It's one of those ones that, like, the more you look at it, the more you're like, well, we almost certainly have to compromise somewhere. <laughs> you know, and is it really our, is it really our, like, place to say this is where the compromise is drawn? It's a, it's a really tough one. I feel like we're getting into a very mm. big discussion here. So graphene, graphene's cool. Isn't is this, are we in a segue? Are we in a segue to graphene? <laughs> <laughs> That's not a segue. That was just a blatant, very blunt change in the subject. <laughs> I just have one last quick story. Yeah, which is going what? back no to segue? our old friend, graphene. No segue. No, no, no segue. No segue. What even was this previous story you were talking yeah, about? Yeah, you're I right. We have remember. we have just cut an awful lot of um of audio here, listeners. Like I think about <laughs> yeah. thirty minutes, just so you're aware. <laughs> We're only forty six minutes in, so yeah, this is gonna be a very short episode. But so you know, there's a big problem with concrete. Concrete is used everywhere in construction, but one of the the key elements of mm. concrete is cement, and cement itself is responsible for about eight percent of carbon yep. emissions globally, which is hundreds of millions of tons. Like it's a huge, huge amount, absolutely enormous amount, but concrete is absolutely yeah. essential you can't build There's nothing like it so much of the modern no. world without it but what they've found is that and this is it's this is going back to some of your crazy not quite as crazy as your numbers from earlier but you can add in just 0.03 percent graphene powder increase the strength of concrete by 25 percent i mean graphene just seems like an absolute wonder material but i mean the whole point is if you could make much stronger concrete like that you could use a lot less of it and therefore reduce uh, co2 emissions very significantly and uh, it'd be great. So like, I'm not going to go into what graphene is. We've gone on about it on the show so much. It is just a wonder material. And I, I swear to God, they're going to eventually discover it's a cure for cancer. Just Eventually, they'll do something really, really useful with it and actually scale it up to use level as well. I don't know if that's actually happened yet. Like, I know there are a lot of patents out there. I, I'm not aware of big scale graphene related projects. It still feels like it's in the stage of, oh, and let's try and do this to it. Oh, wow, it can do that as well. I, I do have one last very quick story again, which I just liked. This just caught my attention. Uh, some scientists were fishing in Rowley Shoals, uh, about 300 kilometers west of Broome in Western Australia. They found a fish that was 81 years old. Really? <laughs> I love your change in your face. Yeah, um, it's, it's a midnight snapper. And they think it's, yeah, they think it's 81 years old. The oldest fish they found in shallow tropical waters was around 60 years old. Um, so this has beaten it by over two decades. And um, it, it's it's useful because it helps them understand how fish length and age will be affected by climate change. Because I think these shoals have been particularly affected by warming waters in Australia. But uh, yeah, it's it's 81 years old which is quite cool i mean i know mm. there's i think it's basking sharks in greenland or something can be over 300 years old like you can get very old fish but this is unusual for a tropical a small tropical fish in that's really really cool did you say what oldest fish they found before then was yes it was about 60 years old that's amazing 20 that's like 30 33 percent older than the previous one that's amazing yeah, yeah. Is there something particularly special about this this area or species, or so? is it like underfished or something like that, and they've just grown older? Or yeah, so these aren't targeted by fishing in Western Australia, and it's obviously a wild fish, so it's it's subject to predators and things like that, and it's just unusual in that it's managed to make it to eighty one years old, which is you know you think of a goldfish lasting what two years, and this thing is eighty one years old. I love as well they list all the things, Doctor. Dr. Brett Taylor, who led the study, was just then goes on to say this fish 
managed to survive World War Two. It saw the Beatles take over the world, and it was collected in a fishery survey after Nirvana came and went. I like that he went went for Nirvana. <laughs> anyway, I think that was my my last story. Uh, do you have you got any more stories for us, Jack? No, no, that's that's all of my stories as well for twenty twenty. That's the it's the end of the show as we know it. Well, it's not the end of the show as we know it. It's the end of this segment of the show because now we play Hollage. Hollage. And it's not the end of the show as we know it. We will be back in 2021, in January. Yeah, when things will continue to be normal. <laughs> exactly. Like robustly normal. So it's it's time for Hollage, host knowledge. And I believe it's your turn to hold the card up for me to read to you first. Okay, Um, I'll go and get the cards. How long have we done this segment? You still don't have the cards ready? Only three months. Recording? Only three months. <laughs> And now it's time for Hollage Host Knowledge with Jack and Ben. Learn more about us, whether you like to or not. I mean, you could stop the podcast now, so if you don't want to, you don't have to. But it's nice to stick around and learn more about us, don't you think? Anyway, Jack, do you want to roll the dice? I was enjoying that. I was, I was really enjoying that. It's like, you don't have to stay. Yeah, if you're 17 hours take... into this recording for 25 minutes of content, <laughs> so I'm glad you're still enjoying it. Yeah, so don't don't stay. You don't have to stay. Yeah, I mean you might want to stay, but do you really want to stay? I'm not sure. Depends on the question. So for Hollage, which is host knowledge, we're going to play a game called the Empathy Game, available at all good retailers. Hashtag not a sponsor. I'm going to roll a dice. It will show me uh, a face, which will. Tell me to pick a card, and then I will hold it up to the camera for Ben to read to me. And I will pretend that I don't know it. And then I will give you the answer, and you will know more about me, and then Ben will answer, and you will know more about him, and all of the wonders of the universe. So, let's just roll this with an earshot. The category is imagine. Imagine. Imagine that. Very appropriate for Christmas, I think. Ooh, this is a good one. What would you stop doing if you could? Oh, that's easy. Social media. I'd uh, I'd stop doing social media because I don't think it serves any purpose other than to take up time in my life and the life of almost everybody involved with it. Um, how about you, Ben? Yeah, I think I interpreted the question slightly differently to you. Because my first thought was... I'd say overall I'm a very happy person, but I do tend to fantasize a lot about what if I, what if this thing had happened to me differently? Like what if Mm. I'd won the lottery or, you know, tried harder at school and gotten into a different university or chosen a different uh, career path or something like that. And a lot of the time I come to the conclusion that I actually wouldn't have liked that. Or I, I do just kind of tell to myself, well, that just wasted 20 minutes of my life that I didn't really... You know, I never do it just kind of sit there and thinking, but um, by itself, I'm usually like washing the dishes or something. But it's just something I really don't like that I do, is just kind of play out these other scenarios in my head about my past that I actually... And a lot of the time the conclusion is, and I'm actually glad, or I, I you know, that would have been nice, but I'm not unhappy with the way things have turned out in my life at all and i think i'm very lucky to be where i am uh, at, at the moment and so i really should stop i wouldn't even say it's not even regret i suppose it's just yeah just kind of fantasizing about things being slightly different but often not even in a oh that would be kind of that would be different but not even necessarily better and i find myself doing that a lot and i wish i would just stop 
doing that and i do as i said i do often come to the conclusion at the end like i you know i don't i why did i think about that that was pointless but i'll just find myself replaying it over and over my head again until i kind of snap myself out of it Mm. and that that is one of those things i just like i need to stop (laughs) i need to stop doing this because i wouldn't say it's exactly it's not exactly harmful but it just feels like a waste of time yeah i mean it it is you're right it is a waste of time um because there's nothing you can do to change it um exactly you know you can certainly like reflecting on the past is not necessarily a waste of time but certainly like typically like circular thoughts are and like you know i've i've had experiences with that as well but like there are a lot of there are like a bunch of techniques that you can use to get out of that kind of thing um, it's almost like about retraining at least like for me it was about like retraining my brain to like think in a different way but my my issues are not like my, my sort of like focus was never um nostalgic in any way i'm very like i'm very forward looking as a person so like i don't i really don't think about the past that much at all and it's only in like the last half a decade that i've really become aware that actually most people do think about the past an awful lot <laughs> It's funny. I think one thing you're very good at is occupying yourself with with projects and things like that, and uh, you're you're very good at doing that kind of thing. Whereas I think I let myself just do kind of mindless things a bit too much, where I can fall into those kind of thought patterns, and I should be not. It's not. It's not even a case of you know always being more productive and always work on new things. But I think I should just be better at trying to get myself to do new things. Um, whether that is just, uh, you, you know, teaching myself something new or just learning something new or just finding a better way of relaxing, um, you know, a new TV show that really engages me or grips me or a new... Uh, I, I think one thing I am bad at that I, I find I really enjoy reading, but I often don't think to read until I go to bed because that's when I always have read. But actually, I've had some evenings more recently where I've just been like, you know what, I don't fancy watching TV after dinner. I'm going to go and read for a bit and really mm-hmm. enjoyed it, but I often don't think about it enough. But obviously when I'm reading a book, I don't have those kind of uh circular thoughts because i'm doing something and i'm focusing on something else so i think that's partly it for me is just finding better ways to occupy myself i guess in in some ways things that uh, i I think just even trying new things and finding new things that really engage me because i think i i uh, i can get bored easily with a lot of things particularly during lockdown and i need to find um just other ways of of engaging myself and my brain gonna say lockdowns like it's i think this is something that a lot of people are tackling this year um i honestly i've i've got so much done this year because of lockdown and lockdown is perfect for this because like you have these big like four hour five hour full day in some cases gaps when like you just don't have any social engagements and can't have any social engagements to Mm. occupy you and so you're just like yeah okay i've got this block of time what shall i do with it okay i'll slice it up like this and i will do that and it's great it's like i've i've really i've really enjoyed lockdown i've really <laughs> i've genuinely i've obviously like i miss people and and seeing friends and stuff like that but um it the it's just shown me how much you can get done um that's probably not the message you wanted to hear no i i i <laughs> Like like I said at the start, I think you have always been very good at that. You will look at a block of time and you will use it because I think you're very clear on what you want to do. Whereas I find myself during lockdown, uh, a lot of the time I'll, I'll flip between things like oh, I'll have a go at this and get bored of it after five minutes, try something else for 20 minutes and then get bored of that and uh, and flip around. And 
as well sometimes I'm, I'm still bad at realizing actually it's been good to you know I'll, I'll play a game for a while and feel like oh I should have been doing something else and I'm still trying to teach myself to be like no you know what I enjoyed doing that it was a good way to relax I'm not meant to be working or I'm meant to be relaxing sometimes and not working or doing something productive all the time and so that was a perfectly fine way to spend my time human beings not human doings yeah exactly <laughs> Exactly. This is, it's almost another topic actually, but it is, you're right. There is, it's almost like, um, I used to know somebody who, uh, who used to say to me that, that, you know, there is no should, you know, there is no should. And there, in many cases, there is no need. Like, um, we'll often say, oh, I need to do this paperwork. Actually, no, I want to do that paperwork because I want the thing that the paperwork will get me. Right. And if you think like that, you think about like the positives and the and the things like that. I, you, the need for should just goes away <laughs> because he's like, oh, I want to do this. Th- oh yeah, I do want to do this thing because I do want that thing at the end of. Th- I do want that um, prize at the end of the tunnel, so I'll go and do that. Well, thanks, thanks for sharing that, Jack. I think it's always good to do a little bit more host knowledge. Knowledge that was the wrong way round. Oh, well, I enjoyed never it. Mind. I enjoyed it. <laughs> <laughs> would you like to take? Would you like to take us out, Jack? <laughs> Thank you very much for listening. Please subscribe to the show to never miss an episode and rate and review us wherever you have the power to do so. If you'd like to get in touch, we are at Not A Buffalo Pod on Twitter and Instagram, Not A Buffalo Podcast on Facebook, or contact us through the website, notabuffalo.wordpress.com. Bye. Goodbye and merry something. Ho, ho, ho.